In the Jungle Book, Mowgli is asked, Mowgli asks the animals, what is the most feared thing in the jungle? The animals begin to discuss it among themselves, and he's told that when two animals meet on a narrow path, one must step aside to let the other pass. And the animal that steps aside for no other is the most feared. One says, it's the elephant. And another one says, no, it's the lion. But then the wise old owl replies, the most feared thing in the jungle is death, for it steps aside for no one. What the Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes 7.2 is that death is the end of every man. But as we will see as we turn in our Bible today to Luke chapter 7, we don't have to fear death if we're walking with Jesus. Because Jesus is able to make even death step aside. As we look at Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 17, tell us this account. It says, And it came about soon afterwards that Jesus went to a city called Nain, and his disciples were going along with him, accompanied by a large multitude. Now as Jesus approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And it was a sizable crowd from the city that was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, do not weep. And he came up and he touched the coffin. And the bearers came to a halt. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up. And he began to speak. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. And this report concerning him went out all over Judea and in all the surrounding district. Now, it tells us here, the story begins by saying, And it came about soon afterwards. If you were reading through the Gospels, what you would find is, That morning, Jesus had been in the the city of Capernaum. And there Jesus had done yet again another great miracle. He had brought a man who was near death uh, and healed him. And here we're reading about how he brought a man who had died back to life. Now, leaving Capernaum that morning, he headed out to Nain. And if you were to look at a map and look at the geography, Capernaum was about a day's journey away from Nain. So that means early in the morning, this miracle had happened, and Jesus begins headed to Nain. It's on the eastern side of the Jezreel Valley, and the town of Nain is a little town that is up on the side of the hill of Moray. And as Jesus leaves Capernaum and goes, we're told that there is a large crowd with him. There would have been a number of those in the crowd who had seen the miracle in Capernaum, and they're following Jesus saying, what's next? What other great thing is he going to do? And as this caravan is traveling along, people would have seen it, and they would have walked up and said, what's going on? Well, this is Jesus. Jesus has been doing these great miracles, and more and more would have been joining in the procession. And as they are heading up the side of this mountain to the little town of Nain, out comes another procession. Now, uh, this one is not buzzing with excitement. This one is not talking about the great miracle they've just seen. Instead, they are grieving. And they're talking about the great loss that has just been suffered. Verse 12 tells us, Now as he approached the gate of the city, behold, a dead man was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a sizable crowd from the city was with her. 
Now, as they're carrying this coffin out, it's not like the ones that we're used to seeing. If you've been at a funeral, you know we have these closed-top caskets that are often carried by pallbearers about this level. This coffin would have been like what you see on the news in the Middle East. This would have been an open-topped, shallow box, or maybe even just a pallet. It would have been carried at shoulder height. And as you're carrying this out in full view of everybody, those who are in the, the funeral procession and those that are with Jesus coming up the side of the hill, you have these two processions that are approaching each other. Now we're told walking beside the body is the man's mother. In verse 14, Jesus will address him as young man, so we know he's not that old. Now we're told she's a widow. And what that tells us is this woman has made this journey before. She's already made a trip to the cemetery at some time previously to bury her husband. And now, once again, she's there grieving, going to the graveside to bury her son, her only son. And if you know the culture, you know what a great loss this is for the woman, not just personally in having lost her son, but you know that she is in a hopeless situation because women in the first century had no rights. It was the men in the family that that were able to represent the family in property rights, in court, in all kinds of uh, disputes that would take place. As a woman, she has nobody left to represent her. Her husband is gone. She has no male relative in the home. She's by herself. And we're told that she is weeping for the son she's just lost. Now, his death would have been earlier in the day because, again, their culture was different than ours. They don't embalm bodies in the Jewish culture. They bury them the day of death. Remember, Jesus left Capernaum early that morning. This young man would have died early that morning. This woman, as she woke up that day, didn't know what it held for her, but it was the day of death for her son. She has this huge need that she's unsure of how it's going to be met, not just at the moment, but in the future. And what she doesn't know is that God knew of her need that same day he was already on his way to meet that need. Now, as this funeral procession proceeds, this sizable crowd is with her. It's a small town. Everybody knows everyone. They all know this great loss this woman has suffered. They know her history, having lost her husband before. So the city is turned out to mourn with her. When someone dies, we say that they're going to meet their maker. And here, that's literally true. As this young man is about to meet the creator of the world, Jesus Christ. It's not a matter of coincidence, but divine province. As I said already, as Jesus left Capernaum that morning, he knew why he was headed to Nain. Nobody in the crowd knew why Jesus was going to this little town out in, in the wilderness area. But Jesus knew there was a need there, and he was already on his way. As you sit here this morning, some of you are facing needs right now. As you walked in here this morning to celebrate Easter, you're probably still living Good Friday. You have loss in your life. You have things that are going on in in your family, health issues, relationship, things at work, or you're looking for work. And you walked in here this morning and it's been hard to celebrate and sing because you're still living Good Friday. And you're saying, I have these needs. Does God even know? Does God even care? As we look at a story like this today, it tells us that God knows our needs. And God cares about our needs. And oftentimes he's just outside the gate of the city 
waiting to meet that need, and we just don't yet know how he's going to do that. I wonder if you've ever sat at the window of your house watching a, a big thunderstorm roll in. And if you've ever seen these big thunderstorms rolling in, you know what will happen is you'll often see this, this flash of lightning as it cuts through the sky. And then there's usually a, a moment of silence before that big boom of thunder hits. And it's the same way with us many times. We sit at the window, so to speak, praying, saying, God, I have this need. There's this storm in my life. These things are happening to me. And as we pray, we're wondering, does God even hear? Is God going to answer? But what we don't know is that because we can only see this little portion of the sky, that God is already sending the answer. Sometimes we don't even see the lightning bolt. We just get surprised by that big boom of thunder. And it's because we can't see all of the heavenlies as God does. And oftentimes God is already at work to answer our prayer, even before we've prayed it, even before we know our need. He is there. As we look at this story, it reminds us that God knows you and your needs, and he's at work in ways that you can't see. Verse 13 tells us, And when the Lord saw her, he felt compassion for her. And he said to her, Do not weep. Do not weep. Now imagine yourself as the mother standing there and this this stranger walks up, stops your son's procession and says, woman, don't weep. And you're thinking, who are you? What are you doing? One day there was a little boy who came out of a store and he was carrying this big bag of bottles of milk that he had just bought. And as he came out of the store, he tripped and he dropped the bag and all the bottles of milk shattered on the ground. And the milk was, was spreading out. The little boy was on the ground. He started crying. And a crowd quickly formed around. They didn't know. Is the boy hurt? Did he cut himself? They said, son, are you okay? And as the little boy was there on the ground and he's getting up, he says, that, that was all the money we had. My, my mom gave me all the money we had to buy milk for the baby. And, and I don't know what we're going to do. And everybody in the crowd starts saying, son, we're so sorry. Oh, that's terrible. Well, a man in the crowd, as he's comforting the boy... He reaches in his pocket and he pulls out a dollar and he gives it to the boy. And he said, he said to the crowd, I care a dollar's worth. How much do you care? You see, it's easy for us just to say words, right? But what God wants us to do is to not only offer words, but to offer action that goes with those words when we see a need. James 2:15 through 16 tells us if a brother or a sister is without clothing and in need of daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warm and be filled and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body what use is that when we read here that the lord tells her not to cry these were not empty words god was about to show how much he cared God was about to, to show this woman that he cared with his actions. Jesus saw her grief. He was moved with compassion, just as God was when he saw our greatest need. We're here today to celebrate Easter. We remember the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But what that means is that there was a crucifixion. There was a death. There was a burial. Why was there a death? Why was there a burial? Isaiah 53 tells us he was a man who was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
That was a prophecy describing how the promised Messiah, the Son of God, would come and he would go to a cross where he would be beaten and bloodied and he would die to pay the penalty of death for my sins and yours. You see, God saw my need, he saw your need. And he didn't just say, I'm sorry. He said, I'll show you how much I care. And he left his throne in heaven and he came to earth and he went to the cross to take our place. He didn't care a dollar's worth. He cared enough to die for us. He said, not I love you this much or this much, but I love you this much. And he spread his arms wide and he died on the cross to take your place and mine to pay the penalty of death. You know, sometimes we don't question whether or not God cares. But instead, what we wonder is, is he really in control? Is God really in control? We know that he's God. We know he sees our need. But we wonder then, why is this happening? Where is God? Does does he really know what the road ahead looks like for us? There was a young man, he was riding in a city bus. And as he got on that city bus, he he went to the back. It was a a rainy day. The windows were all fogged, and there was only two other people on the bus near the front, and he was glad of that because he needed to think. His life seemed to be spiraling out of control. He didn't know what was going on, the direction he was headed. So he goes all the way to the back, and he sits in the back of the bus, and he's deep in thought. This was a, a, a ride he had taken many times before. And as the bus is winding through the city streets and making stops and going on, he's not really paying attention. But for some reason at a, that moment, he looks up and as he stares down the aisle of the bus through the front center windshield, he sees a brick wall. Remember, all the windows are fogged up. All he can see is right out the front where the wipers are going. And the bus is going along at a good rate of speed headed straight for this brick wall. And the young man looks up and he says, doesn't the bus driver see the wall? Is, is he asleep? Is he okay? And he stands up and he's about to shout, watch out. But at that very moment, the bus driver just turns the wheel slightly. And the bus turns down the street that the young man couldn't see ahead. And, and that brick wall just passes harmlessly by. And he sits down at the back of the bus and he says, you know, maybe, maybe I just need to let him drive. He can see the road better than I can from up ahead. And then it dawned on him that maybe that was what he needed to do with God as well. That he needed to let God be the one at the wheel, the one driving his life. Because God could see the whole picture. God could see the road ahead while this young man could not. As we look at this passage today in Luke, I'm sure this mother was like that young man in the back of the bus. As she was going to bury her son, all she could see was the brick wall ahead. And all she could say is, God, what are you doing? Where are you? God, do you care? But what she didn't know is that God was in the driver's seat and he was about to turn the wheel. As you listen to this story today, I wonder if any of you are riding in the back of the bus. And you're wondering, where is God? Does he care? Is he really in control? Friends, the real question you have to ask yourself today is, who is at the wheel of your life? Is it you or have you given it to God? If God is the one who is at the wheel of your life, then you can sit back and trust that he knows the road ahead. You may be driving along right now and think, you know, I'm okay. Everything's fine. But what you don't realize is farther up the road is a sharp curve that you can't anticipate. Farther up the road, there is a bridge that is out that you will not be able to get over on your own. That's why Jesus Christ came. 
The Bible tells us that we are separated from God by a chasm of sin. It says, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But what the Bible goes on to tell us is that the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. The wages of sin is death, it says. But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Jesus knows the bridge is out, and he is the one who has provided the bridge from earth to heaven to restore that broken relationship with God. Jesus said in John fourteen six, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if you're at the wheel of your life this morning, if you feel you're in control and are doing fine, you need to realize there is a bridge that is out ahead, and without Jesus Christ to bridge that chasm, there is a day coming where you will not be fine. Because you, like this young man, will face death. And when you face death, unless you know the Lord of life, that death will be the end of you. It will be eternal separation from God. We see in verse 14 what happens when God is at the wheel. It says, and he came up and he touched the coffin and the bearers came to a halt. I wonder how many times you've, you've been uh, driving up the road and you see a funeral procession approaching. What's your immediate thought? Yeah, I know. I got to hit the gas. I got to get through the intersection before <laughs> that funeral procession comes, right? Because otherwise I'm going to have to stop. I'm going to have to be here. I'm going to have to let death pass me by, right? You know, we used to live in a day where people would show respect for funerals. That when a funeral would approach, people would stop, sometimes even getting out of their car. And yet now we live in a day where people not only want to try to beat the funeral, but sometimes when they're stopped by it, they they cut through the line when there's a car, you know, because I I just can't yield to this. Well, in, in the first century, when you approached a funeral procession, you not only had to stop and yield to it, But as the funeral procession would pass you by, you then had to join it. So as this funeral procession is approaching Jesus, coming down the hillside, going to the cemetery, Jesus and his procession, remember, are coming up the hillside. And what it means is that at that moment, the two are meeting. And the question becomes, who will yield to who? Do you remember the words of the wise old old owl? Death steps aside for no one. The question becomes, who would yield to whom? Would it be death or the Lord of life that would yield to the other? Would the funeral procession pass Jesus by, and would he and all of his followers then have to follow it to the cemetery, or would death yield to the Son of Man, the Son of God? Jesus stops the procession. All eyes are focused on the coffin. And Jesus says, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and he began to speak. Now, remember, this is a coffin that is shoulder high. Everybody sees it. And as Jesus does this, they suddenly see this young man sit up in this open top coffin. Now, I love critics of scripture who always try to explain things away. Some of them, as they have looked at this account, they've said, well, what we had here was rigor mortis. You know what rigor mortis is? Rigor mortis is where a body, after it has died, the muscles will contract and tighten. It's a, and so what they're saying is this, this dead body kind of sat up because of rigor mortis. Now, if you're unaware of it, Luke, the person writing the gospel of Luke that God used, his profession, his career was a medical doctor. 
Luke knows the difference between rigor mortis and a resurrection. He tells us the young man began to speak. Before I was a pastor, I was a policeman in Dallas, and I dealt with a lot of dead bodies. And I've seen dead bodies twitch or move. There are times that a hand will contract, a leg might make a little uh, movement. And uh, when a body has died and as it is, is, you know, going through the process, there are times that it twitches. But again, we're not dealing with rigor mortis. We're dealing with a resurrection. I was a field training officer, and as a FTO, you would get rookies out of the academy. And one of the things you had to do was acclimate these young officers to the street, and you had to give them exposure and experience in all kinds of situations. And one of those was dealing with dead bodies. And all the other police loved it when FTOs had rookies because it meant they could slough off all those calls they didn't like, right? They tell the dispatcher, this sounds like a great training call. And they would then call the, the FTOs. And so there was one time there was an a indigent, a homeless man who had died under a bridge. And as they're dispatching it, they gave it to myself and another field training officer who had a rookie. And so we get to the scene, and, and, you know, it's not like TV where, you know, 100 people and the coroner is always there. The street officer usually has to investigate the initial situation and decide whether or not it, it looks like a scene of foul play or is just some kind of natural situation. And so the rookies are there, and they're wide-eyed, you know, their first uh, exposure to a dead person, and we tell them, put on your gloves, and we're walking them through the process. We're standing around this uh, individual's uh, body, and we say, now, look, you need to, to look for marks of foul play. You need to look the body over. You're going to have to search it to find identification. And you're walking them through the steps. And so we're both standing back while these two young officers are, you know, approaching the body kind of scared. And they're, they're you know, what, what do we do? And at that moment, as they're both leaning over the body, this one contracted and fairly substantially. And so as they're leaning over it, this body kind of sat up a little. And they both, they both jumped, jumped back screaming. Now, I had this, I had this one guy who was a, a big African-American guy. His name was Patrick. And it scared Patrick so bad, he pulls his gun. <laughs> and, and at that moment, I started screaming too. Don't shoot! Don't shoot! Because all I could picture is the, the weeks of paperwork explaining... <clears throat> why my, my rookie had shot a dead body. <laughs> so I'm yelling, don't shoot, Patrick, put it away. Now, we read this account and we just kind of go, oh, that's exciting. Friends, we should have the reaction that Patrick had. Not screaming in fear but being amazed. Here is a man that is dead. The city is grieving. The mother is grieving. Everybody is is looking at this scene of hopelessness. And suddenly, Jesus says, Young man, I say to you, arise. And he does. Verse 17 says, And fear gripped them all, and they began glorifying God, saying, A great prophet has arisen among us, and God has visited his people. As, as the people see this, as they, they, they see this miracle, they begin to search their memory banks. 
wow, what, what can we compare this to? Now, I told you that Nain was on the hillside of this mountain called Moreh. And if you read 2 Kings, what you'll find is there was a prophet in the Old Testament by the name of Elisha. And Elisha had gone into a city called Shunan. Shunan is four miles on the other side of this mountain. And Elisha had brought a young boy back from the dead as well. Do you think if you live four miles away out on this mountain that you would know what happened around the corner in this other city? And so when they see this young boy brought back to life, they say, you know, a great prophet of the past, Elisha, did this once. We've just seen another amazing miracle. Jesus must be a great prophet too. But friends, Jesus was much more than a great prophet. As you read all the resurrection accounts that took place where God allowed others to bring somebody back to life like Elisha or later when one of the apostles brought a young one back from the dead as well. You remember they had to go through this elaborate uh, ritual and prayer and, and God, we need you to do this great miracle. Jesus himself, as he brought his friend Lazarus back from the dead, remember when he came to the tomb where they said, Jesus, he's been dead three days. He's, it's going to stink. Don't, don't roll back the stone. And Jesus said, move the stone. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. Now, before that, Jesus prayed. And do you remember why Jesus said he was praying? He said, Father, this is so that they will know. Where the power comes from. They will know about my relationship with you. He was God. He could just say what he did here. Young man, I say to you, arise. Now, every time you look at an account where Jesus brought somebody back from the dead, I don't know if you've noticed it, but Jesus always directs the command. Young man, Lazarus. If Jesus had just simply said, arise, do you know what would have happened? Every tomb in every cemetery would have opened and everybody would have come out alive because as God, he has that power. Wouldn't that have been exciting to see? Wouldn't it have been exciting to see this young man come back from the dead? Brothers and sisters in Christ, can I tell you something? You're not only going to get to see it, you're going to get to experience it. Because 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18 tells us this. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep, that is, those who have died, that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord, his second return, we shall not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. This is speaking of the resurrection that happens at the time of the rapture. The rapture is where the resurrected, risen Lord, who is home in heaven right now, will descend and he will call those who are his to come back with him to heaven. 2 Corinthians 5.8 says that when a believer in Christ dies, their physical body remains. But it says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Our soul goes to be with God immediately. And this is the moment when our souls are, are brought back together with our resurrected bodies. 
As we look at the resurrected bodies, these are our permanent resurrected bodies that will never again suffer death or decay. When Jesus raised this young man from the dead, or Lazarus, or all the other ones who were brought back from the dead, do you realize they died again? Their physical bodies died again. Only Jesus Christ who has been resurrected from the dead, has his permanent and perfect resurrected body at the moment. This is why uh, the Bible tells us that Christ is the firstborn from the dead. He was not the first one resurrected, but he is the firstborn in the sense of having the completed thing that we all hope for. After Jesus rose from the dead, he walked the earth for 40 days. He appeared to more than 500 witnesses before he then ascended into heaven in bodily form where he's waiting to return to receive us again one day. You'll remember that as Jesus was showing himself to others, there were those who doubted, did he really rise from the dead? Thomas, one of his disciples, was not, was not there in the first appearance to the other disciples. And he said in John twenty twenty five, Unless I see in his hands the imprints of the nails, and put my fingers into the place of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Verse 27 tells us in John 20 that Jesus appeared again and said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands. Reach here with your hand and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Later in the book of Revelation, we're told that when John was given a glimpse into heaven, as he saw the actual uh, heavenlies and he saw Jesus Christ, the resurrected Lord there, it says in Revelation 5, 6, And I saw between the throne with the four living creatures and the elders a lamb standing as if slain. When we get home to heaven, we will see the resurrected Lord in his physical perfect form. And he will be bearing the marks of his crucifixion as a sign of honor. And we will worship the Lamb of God who was slain to take away the sin of the world the one who restored our broken relationship. This is why Paul tells us in 1 Thessalonians 4, therefore comfort one another with these words. As you're sitting here listening to this sermon, you may be thinking, this this is kind of an interesting passage for Easter. I expected to hear about the women coming to the tomb or some of the other resurrection appearances. Why are we talking about Jesus bringing some other person back from the dead? The reason we're doing that, friends, is I want you to remember that the resurrection of Jesus Christ has meaning in our life in the sense that it has something for all of us who will one day die ourselves. There is a day coming when death will have to yield to the Lord of life on our behalf. There is a day coming when every one of us here, unless the rapture occurs first, will physically die. Death is the end of all men, the Bible said. And on that day... Where you will spend eternity will be decided upon which procession you are in. Funeral or follower of the Lord of life, which procession are you in today? Are you walking in the world's procession? One of hopelessness? Thinking there is a day coming and I die and then it's done and it's all over. Are you walking in the procession as a follower of the Lord of life, Jesus Christ? The one who met death one day on a hill called Calvary. And that day death yielded to Jesus Christ as well. 
He was crucified. He died. And when he was buried in the tomb, everybody thought it was over. That death had won. That sin, death, and Satan were the victor. But then Jesus showed he had conquered them all. It's why 1 Corinthians 15.55 tells us, Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus, the Lord of life, met death, and it stepped aside that day as well. That day as Jesus brought the boy back to life, rather than having to fall in line and follow death to the cemetery, those who were in the funeral procession would have turned around and followed Jesus back into the city to celebrate. And friends, this morning we are here to follow Jesus into the city to celebrate that he is not dead. The angel said to those who came to the tomb that first Easter morning, Why are you seeking the living one among the dead? He is not here. He is risen just as he said. And when he rose from the dead, he showed that he had given us the gift of new and eternal life. In John 5, 24, we're told, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but is passed out of death into life. Friends, this morning I have an invitation for you. One where I'm inviting you today to step out of the funeral procession and to become a follower of the Lord of life. You don't have to walk the aisle. You don't have to raise your hand. But what you do have to do is say to God, God, today I realize I'm in the funeral procession. That I am following death to the cemetery. And like this, this mother of this young boy, I feel hopeless and lost. I think it's over. I don't realize that, that you are indeed who you said you are and you were coming to meet me. But today, God, I've encountered you. I've encountered you on the road. And I realize today that I need to change processions. I need to get out of the funeral procession and I need to become a follower of the Lord of life. I believe you are who you said you are. The Son of God. Sent to come and take my place on the cross to pay the penalty of death that I owed for my sins. And today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sins and I turn to you to be my Savior. Romans 10.9 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. If you'd like to do that today, if you've never changed processions, if you've never said, I believe that Jesus is indeed the Son of God sent to save me, and I know that he did not stay in the tomb, but he rose from the dead. But today, Jesus, I want to become a follower of yours, and I invite you just to bow your heads with me now to pray this prayer that I'm going to lead you in. There's nothing magic about the prayer. It's just your way of telling God that you're changing processions, that you want to become a follower of the Lord of life. If that's your desire, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me now. Lord Jesus, I believe that you are the Son of God, the one sent to take my place to take my place and pay the penalty of death that I owed for my sins. I accept your payment in my place, Jesus. I thank you that you went to the cross and died for me. And I believe that you rose from the dead three days later, showing that you indeed are the Lord of life, that you conquered sin and death. 
Lord Jesus, I'm changing processions today from being in the funeral procession to being a follower of the Lord of life. I thank you for the great gift of new life you've given me as I turn from my sins into you to be my Savior. I pray these things in the name of my precious and risen Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Friends, if you prayed that prayer today for the first time, I'll be at the front. There will be other prayer leaders. Maybe a family member or friend who brought you today uh, would love to hear from you that you took that step. We want to make sure you understand what you just did and begin to help you grow and take the next steps in your new life. For the rest of us who are already believers in Jesus Christ, I want to give you this benediction in closing. 1 Peter 1.3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Go and share the good news that the tomb was empty, that he is risen just as he said. Happy Easter.